Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not first good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to the show, you guys. I hope you're having an amazing week. Today, we have on Candice Kumai. Candice was coined the golden girl of wellness by both Elle and Forbes. Candice started as a model and classically trained chef and has been a wellness journalist and writer for years. She is also a six-time best-selling author and just released her seventh book. She also shares that she's working on her eighth. So you guys, eight books in a couple decades max. Like I struggled to even like write articles throughout the week, much less eight freaking books. You may have seen her on Selena Gomez's cooking show. She's made appearances on every major media platform from Good Morning America to Vogue to Bon Appetit. So chances are you've seen Candace before. She is everywhere. This conversation that we have today is not what I was expecting at all. I literally did not even look at my notes once. I actually have never done that before where I like forget that I even have an outline to begin with. I actually forgot we were recording a podcast episode multiple times during this conversation. I had planned a lot of questions for her about her cooking tips and wellness routines and all those things like that, but we did not even get to that. It was so much more powerful. This episode will really make you think about how you connect with people, how you take care of yourself, and honestly kind of make you rethink how you're living your life and being honest with yourself about how you're working towards your truest, most authentic, richest life. Candace has so much to offer. And I love being able to share such a wide range of perspectives with you guys. That is what lights me up and makes me so excited. So I can't wait for you guys to get into it, to listen to what Candace has to say. Please welcome Candace Kumai to the Every Girl Podcast. It's so nice to meet you, Candice. I feel like I have been waiting for this moment for years because I have like, we've DM'd a little bit over the years. And I, so I just like, I can't believe I finally get to chat with you. I'm so excited. Thanks, Josie. You guys are so sweet. I'm excited to chat with you guys through everything today. And also I love meeting in person and seeing, you know, people in real life because now that we live in such a weird digital world, sometimes you meet people and they're they're very strange in person or they don't look like themselves. And That's so true. I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. So it's like before social media, it was really important to be a good person, to do quality work, to have integrity, to be truthful and honest, and also like look like the part and walk the walk. 
And I, I guess I'm just still around so that I can like keep those old media ways going. But I do love, I love old media. New media is cool, but it's also like a huge burnout compared to old media. There's like a lot going on all at once. And you have seemed to have become, I mean, you've been the expert for so many years on being a media personality, which we will get into, but I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to the Every Girl Podcast, Candice. Let's dive into it. My first question for you, Candice, I know you grew up in Southern California, which is where I am now. So, SoCal girl after my own heart. Did you always feel tied and proud of your Japanese heritage growing up? Oh, that's a great question. No. And straight away, I can say that easily because if you read my books, there are several that talk about the pain of being the only mixed kid or the only Asian girl from the time I was in kindergarten all the way through the end of high school. I even had a huge conversation with four of my best friends from high school just last year about how difficult it was to, while I loved them and I knew they loved me, it was so intense to be a mixed kid, a child of immigrants, a child with like a Japanese middle name and a Polish last name growing up in Carlsbad, California in North County. I think it's important for people to be a little bit more aware that if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, that you might not have seen people that looked like you in your neighborhood, whether it's in you know a, a quite civilized area, it didn't really matter. I mean, people, kids are mean, you know, they learn the weirdest things and they said some pretty gnarly things to me growing up, like as in, you know, it could be anything from a guy to a friend. And I don't know, I think later on in life, it worked in my favor being Japanese American because it's the body of my work and sort of the roots of my lineage that I'm very proud of now. But the short answer is no, I was not like everybody else growing up. And if anybody else feels tied to that or compelled to write about it, or maybe even just listen to know that you're not alone, it's really important to share. Even if somebody looks like they're a cute surfer girl from San Diego, it doesn't mean that things weren't really difficult. We don't give everybody the opportunity to share their story all the time. And I love that you are speak on this and are open about this because for me, it's so cool to see you now, obviously like that's such a huge part of what you do is you are like sharing your culture with so many people. So it's really interesting to think back on that little Candace who was like teased for it, which by the way is messed up. Like it's crazy to hear that those stories happened even as early as, you know, the eighties and nineties. And I, I know it's probably still happening in places of the world today, but to go from that little kid that was like, I hate this about myself. I'm teased for this. I feel different to now that is what you do. That is how you found success. I think that's such a powerful story for anybody out there who's feeling different, who's feeling embarrassed about certain things is to not only accept and love and appreciate those things about yourself, but actually make them a part of who you are, you know, make them make you stand out, like let them be a part of your story. And I think you're arc is like so powerful and there are so many lessons to be had in that. But how did you get to this point? Like what brought you from that little kid that felt so different to loving and accepting and wanting to highlight this part about yourself? Hmm. I would say, Josie, it wasn't really a choice. It was more like a calling. 
And it was also an organic part of the story. By chance, I, I went to Long Beach State. I did my undergrad there in interpersonal and organizational communications. And then a year later, I ended up in Pasadena at a Le Cordon Bleu school, at culinary school at 22. Um, and this is, you know, before the first season of Top Chef. So it was like, I don't even know what year it was. It must have been 2005. And then I was on the inaugural first season of Top Chef. And I don't think I still even then tapped fully into the Japanese heritage part. It wasn't really until I moved to New York to be a writer at several magazines and then started writing, you know, multiple books that I I found out that what made me different than everybody else was how I grew up and my family, they both survived the war. Uh, World War II was particularly grim in Poland and in Japan. So my ancestors, they say, you know, roughly two decades of generational pain and trauma can be felt through you, your mother and father, and your grandparents. So what your grandparents went through. Wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. I have decided to stay in my lane and go back to food while I love spirituality and psychology and history and culture, I understand that the way that I communicate with people is through food. So when I stumbled upon all these recipes that were really easy for me, like soba, sushi udon, teppanyaki, karaage, just anything Japanese, ramen, matcha, they were just a part of who I was and not a trend because I started going to Japan as a little kid when I was in kindergarten in 1988. And I think that is where I knew that I had to embrace who I was and where I came from, not because it was trendy or cool, but because it was probably the most organic story to share. A lot of times writers nowadays, especially those of us who are marginalized, we like to say, if you like Mexican food, it's really great to learn it firsthand from a Mexican. And from, you know, the Hispanic community. And if you like Japanese food, learn it from the Japanese or a Japanese American. And if you like, you know, Cuban food, like go find a Cuban author, a Cuban American author and learn firsthand. Because sometimes in history and through the culture of writing and tradition in the U.S., what we do is we take things that are not ours And we westernize them for trends or for profit or for financial gain or even personal gain. Another thing to talk about too, Josie, since I went to culinary school, I cooked on the line. I cooked at many restaurants. I worked at many magazines. I was on the masthead at several places in New York. I judged on Iron Chef and Beat Bobby Flay. I was on Top Chef and I penned eight books by the time I was like 40. It's important to also say to look at somebody's background in the field in which they are claiming to be an expert in, because there are lots of people out in the world now that write cookbooks, but they don't actually even cook themselves. So it's really important to see, you know, was this a person that just wanted to be famous who bought a bunch of followers on Instagram and took nice photos and they had money and they paid a lot of people to do it for them? Or is this a person with merit and clout, integrity, grace, experience, a resume, a Rolodex? Like, I'm so old, I used to say that I have a Rolodex of men. I don't know where it is. I wouldn't touch it anymore, but I, I 
<laughs> but I'm so old that we still refer to things with a Rolodex as a joke. But it's like, it's really, it is very hard to be graceful and poised and grateful for the opportunities out there when some of us do feel like we've been completely blindsided because it's been cool to be in wellness and food rather than do the work to actually build your own resume and your own experiences in food. So that is another thing people often ask me, like what can they do to help to support authors and chefs and artists in their field? And the best thing you can do is is like fact check, man. Look at the background of where the people that you follow are coming from. Yes. Okay. Wow. You said a lot there. First of all, I, I bet revisiting that Rolodex has got to be interesting. I feel like that'd be fun. You, you find a lot of interesting things in there, I'm sure. Oh, you know, they'll always keep tabs on you, ladies. Always. They don't go, they follow you and they watch what you're doing and then they think I don't see them. And I'm like, why are you still following me? Like I met you like 12 years ago. <laughs> There's always the, the lurkers. Yeah. I guess it's flattery. But it's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, take it as a compliment. You should. (laughs) But a lot of what you said too, I'm really fascinated. And this is going to be like maybe a little side tangent, but especially in the work that you're doing to highlight a lot of these ingredients and, and practices that are part of your heritage, how much do you run into that almost like cultural appropriation? Like I'm curious how you define the balance of people wanting to learn from other cultures and practices and, and you know, modernize the rituals in some way. And then where does that become, you know, a, you're culturally appropriating those rituals? That's a great question. The first example that I can use that always comes to mind is matcha. It is a stone ground, finely milled, green tea powder that was shade grown in areas of Japan, like Uji, or even closer to where my mother is from in Kyushu Prefecture. It's part of our heritage and our culture that we're happy to share. And obviously there are so many parts of Japan, whether it's kimono or it's tempura, or maybe it's soba ramen or karaage, like Japanese fried chicken is only beginning to get popular now, but it's something I grew up And it's not trendy for me. It's something that we ate often. And that's where people need to come to the realization that even if you think like yuzu is cool and trendy, it is from the Japanese people. It is part of their culture. It's normal for us. And it may be new, but it is not to be exploited, again, for personal gain or personal profit. And it's also not everyone else's to take. It's to share. And if you look at something as simple as Ayurveda or yoga, these are cultural, beautiful practices that are from India, that were from the Indian culture that, again, just like the Japanese, like they may not have realized how special they are because this is just an everyday thing for them. But we should really learn about Ayurveda and yoga from as many, you know, firsthand, first generation Indians, or maybe even Indian Americans that can really use the help and the eyeballs and the credit. I remember I once signed up for a meditation course in New York and it was over when I was out in California for a little bit. So I wanted to just do it online. And the woman on the other end was so rude to me that I said to myself, how could this person even 
be teaching meditation and Buddhist principles if she doesn't even acknowledge like her own students' questions on an email. It was really bad. Yeah. And and I want every girl to also know that even if I sound poised and successful and I look radiant when I'm on camera or on the Today Show or writing for Vogue, it doesn't mean I haven't gone through hell and back 10 times. It doesn't mean that I haven't been burned by different men or told, can we just, excuse me, but fuck and not date? And can we, can we just, you know, can we use your work and not pay you? Can we exploit your culture, but not like acknowledge you? I have been through these things and it's important for girls to know that like, you don't have to talk about all your problems openly. I have been appropriated probably my whole career. And I've also been called horrible names, like I said, growing up in San Diego by other students growing up. It is very strange to have been teased for what I am and who I am when I was a child. And now somehow, you know, 20, 30 years later, like praised and loved for it. So it's something that every individual has to figure out on their own. Like every woman has to go through their own shit to get to where they need to be. They say with no grit, you know, with no dirt, with no, like, no dirt, there's no lotus, with no grit, there's no pearl. These are things that women have to sadly prove themselves in our culture nowadays. You know, I do it through my books easily. And I I sometimes have to take the high road, whether it's with old friends or producers or conniving media people. It's weird, but we've all we've all been there. Like, and if somebody doesn't talk about all of their problems, whether they are with psychological issues, finances, men dating, relationships, body dysmorphia, whatever it may be, don't assume that if a woman has her shit together on Instagram, that it means she's perfect. And I think most of the time people need to get real And they need to learn about where these people are coming from that they worship so deeply. And I do think it's important for them to also do a deeper dive into culture and heritage because we are now just barely touching the surface of learning about, you know, our BIPOC brothers and sisters and how some of them came to the U.S. in a a way that we could never even imagine, or the Japanese internment camps, or, you know, the horrendous sort of everyday um, discrimination that a lot of our gay friends have to deal with on a daily basis. I find it very sad that a lot of us can't be fully who we want to be expressively in the arts, because we're afraid of what others may think. And that is why I will always pull the Japanese card because I want people to remember about my heritage and my family. And I'll always take the high road and I'll always button up, but it does not mean that it is not difficult to talk about race and culture and heritage and tradition. It is sometimes even harder because For example, when I wrote Clean Green Eats, it was a phenomenal book that flew off of shelves because it was generally and culturally accepted by Americans. But when I wrote Kintsugi Wellness after that, the sales figures were very different because not everyone understood Kintsugi. Yes. And, you know, that's not to say that some of the writing that I do is very niche, 
But with the explosion of people writing about Japan, traveling to Japan, claiming Japan, it's a time for us to be a little bit more awake and for us to also invite more marginalized voices to the table. To, you know, I invite every producer and casting director and director and executive producer to start having different talent on their shows. And start having mixed cultural families. Like I often write about my Buddhist mother and my Christian father, even though we were raised Catholic. Yes, my parents are in California. And then my mom's family is in Japan and my dad's family is in Connecticut and Poland. And it's like, you know, not everybody grew up with that same cookie cutter family. Like I often can't even relate to something like Full House because... I don't look like anybody on that show. I don't have anything in common. I didn't think Friends was cool. Sorry, guys. And as wild as that seems, you know, I'm just me. And and unapologetically, I think there are actually a lot of minorities that feel the same way as me. But again, they're afraid. They're afraid to speak their truth. And society should not be doing this anymore. I wish more people allowed anyone who's not white to be who they are without having to be judged. And I doubt I'll live to see that day. And if I had a child, I doubt they'll live to see that day because it seems like an inevitable part of society. But it should come without saying that we should all make friends with people that do not look like us. And we should learn about their culture and heritage. And then I think that that butterfly effect will ripple and it, it does, it will hopefully work, you know, and the easiest way for me to do that is through food and through cookbooks. It sounds like the, maybe the crux of a lot of what you're saying would be curiosity. Like the, like matcha is such a great example of this because obviously a lot of people are like, great, let me run to Alfred's or Starbucks and grab my matcha. And like, without even thinking, well, where does it come from? Obviously, we know there's a lot of health benefits, but there's also spiritual benefits too that it's been practiced for you know thousands of years. So is that kind of what you would recommend for people who do want to respect, honor, but also be a part of? And I love what you said earlier of, of it's not taking, it's sharing. So how can other people share in these rituals? Is it is the answer to that like the curiosity of wanting to learn? Well, how was this practice? Where does this come from? And that's the answer. Or what would you recommend that people who want to share these rituals with you? What do they do so that they are still honoring these things? That's a great question to Josie. I go to Japan often and I study with the monks in the mountains. And what I do is I, I take the work that I've learned from them and I write about it in my books. Or if I'm so lucky to write for an outlet like Vogue or Cosmo, et cetera, then I will be able to share my story firsthand with the American people about my culture and heritage. And that's why I write books. People are so consumed with clickbait and having to get 10 stories out a week, and they are no longer focused on quality. They are focused on quantity. And that is not a world that I want to live in, which is why I went back to writing books because it's a long game product where it takes me years to complete each one. But I feel really good about the work that I do. I'm not just contributing clickbait and bullshit out into society. I'm actually taking my time to sit with the monks, to sit with my family, to sit with the Nagasaki survivors of the atomic bomb and get the information firsthand and then write about it. 
So I think sometimes the least that we can do is order books, read them, learn about the firsthand experience, and then share them with others. So with matcha, it's about learning about it from the Japanese first. It's about just sharing, like I write about it in Kintsugi Wellness extensively. Then it's about buying it from the Japanese. And then it's about trying it at home and sharing it. And it's cute that there are lots of matcha cafes out there now. And I think it's great that it's been shared. But sometimes the the quality that's being served is really poor. Sometimes they cut it with sugar. Even at Starbucks, it's not matcha. It's just sugar. And I think there are, generally speaking, there are a lot of improvements that we need to make in our country in order to share better quality food, bev, wellness, and culture with the world. Right now, everything is the wild, wild west. So consider this. You must educate yourself. You must read books. You must learn from the best of the best. I love reading new books from different authors, Josie. It's an easy way to educate, to learn, and to grow, and to start like accepting maybe somebody else's story and seeing a different perspective. And whether it's matcha or like I said, like your favorite, like say you you want to learn about Ethiopian food or Indian food or something delicious, then pick up a book because it's if it's written by somebody of the place of origin, it's probably pretty accurate. I think especially in wellness, it is very easy to a culturally appropriate, like we're talking about matcha, yoga. We see this time and time again, Ayurveda. We see this all the time, but also, you know, people are used to like the easy thing, like quote, the easy, quick, you know, you see someone's morning routine on TikTok and that's what you want to follow because that's what you saw in a you know, 30 second clip. And that's now how people are getting used to quote growth is they're seeing it in these very short increments of short ideas, uh, concepts. I'm going to try this ritual, this food, this recipe, and maybe our growth needs to come from doing bigger deep dives. And that comes from things like books that comes from doing our own research to look into authors, to find people that we want to be learning from not in a short 30 second clip, but deeply understanding their lives, their experiences, reading more. Like maybe we can shift our view of wellness in general and how we are viewing growth and healing and how we're practicing growth and healing for ourselves and where we're getting like quote advice from and and maybe like rethinking our sources. Like maybe let's rethink the sources that we're looking to, to get advice and the way that we are consuming content in general, maybe it can shift a little bit. Like obviously a lot of people love TikTok. It's fine. It can be, you know, entertaining, but maybe on top of that, I love the encouragement of let's go look into some deeper reading. Let's go find an author that you really respect and want to learn from and go through all of their books, you know, like take, spend more time. Like this is worth our time. Yeah. And Josie, you pretty much nailed it. It's been hard to have this conversation with people because I'm not tough in the sense that I want to be the person that wakes everybody up, but I, but I actually have to be. Like It'd be way easier for me to just keep being a bobblehead on the Today Show or be Bobby Flay judging and continuously write these pretty books, but it would be like a much better use of my time for society to actually point out 
because my mother is a, a Japanese language and cultural teacher and my father was a nuclear auditor. So in our household, like education was paramount. And also in my dad's line of work, he didn't really have any room for errors. So in our house, like they were expecting the golden standard for my sister and I both. So it's probably the biggest reason why I went out and penned eight books Well, I just finished the seventh, which is the Audible original Spirited. The eighth is on its way back to cookbooks, which I think people found fascinating that I decided very quickly that it was, it was good to get the spirituality aspect of wellness out onto paper, but it wasn't necessarily the thing that's going to make me get to the next level, if you will. I think it's important to be a really good role model and not pretend like you're perfect and polished and not act like people tell me still to this day, like, can you post more on social? And the quick answer to that is I don't want to, I don't care if I don't have a huge following just because I don't want to post all the time. I'm mentally already sick from having to be on this app for well over a decade or whenever it came out while writing a shitload of books and, you know, barely making ends meet. And not to mention that I've run my own companies for 17 years on my own. And that's a a true sediment to being a real entrepreneur. I don't want to brag about how much we've made. I don't want to try to get people to sign up for a program that I get rich off of. And I don't really care if I miss out on a couple of opportunities to make money Because I feel like at the end of the day, if I'm a true wellness connoisseur and educator and chef, I wouldn't want anything but for my audience to feel really fucking good and to get the honest truth. Yeah. I think that's kind of coming back to what really is wellness. And I hope that everybody out there questions that. It's so wild to me that I'm having this conversation with you, Candice, because lately in the past maybe like couple years, I have just felt very much exhausted by what wellness has become. I mean, I'm a wellness editor. I'm a health coach. Like wellness is my entire world. And I just lately have been feeling so drained about it of like, I just don't want to be feeling like I have to be posting all these things on TikTok and social and like these clips. Like I, I want to be genuinely connecting with people and helping them, not like, hello, audience, here's this. And like, not to shit on anybody who does, because I do think a lot of people feel community in that way. And I think that that's an amazing side of social media, but it just, it's funny to me hearing you talk about this, because this is something like I haven't really explored very much, but I feel this like very strong calling of like, this is not it. This is not how you are going to be helping people feel their happiest and find their most fulfilling life. You know, it's about like connecting face to face and individually. And so I, I just, I'm like almost like laughing to myself of like, this is a message from the universe. Like you're having this conversation with Candace, but it's, it's so cool to hear you speak on this because you're right. So few people are talking about this. And I think it's very important for everybody out there to question what is wellness to you? Because right now the message that we are spewing out there that the media spewing out there is, you know, wellness is this diet and this workout and this trend and 30 seconds that you're seeing of what this influencer does. When in reality, it is like a very deep 
personal thing that everybody has a different definition for themselves. And that's how you find true well-being. You know, it's not because you follow this influencer's morning routine. It's because you have done all this work to identify what makes you happiest in your life. And so I think rethinking how we get there, like are the things that you're following, the things you're doing truly getting you there? Or maybe for the people out there, can you rethink the way that you're spending your time so that, you know, maybe instead of scrolling through TikTok, you are going to read a book that you're passionate about and you're interested in, or you're going to do a meditation practice or, you know, like I'm not the person who's going to judge what is wellness to you, to wellness to our audience. You know, it's up to each individual. So I just want to like, I like am feeling a message from the universe. I'm like a big believer in that woo-woo, but I just like, I, I'm laughing to myself of like, okay, I, I hear you universe. Like you're bringing me this conversation with Candace for a reason, but I just think this is so important for people to get a hold of. Yes. And I think you nailed it on the head, Josie. It's not like everyone's going to have the same wake up call at the same time. It's not the same wellness routine doesn't work for two people your skin and my skin are completely genetically different and hair and nails and body type. And as a former fit model, which means I was a live mannequin for everyone from Calvin Klein swimwear to Roxy to Hurley and every denim company out there from seven to habitual or chip and pepper. Like it was so weird to be paying my bills for culinary school through fit modeling And I very early on in my like early 20s had to figure out how to balance like food and nutrition really early on in life and also finances because my parents thought that going to culinary school when I was 22 was a fucking joke. And that was the truth. I mean, sometimes you have to go against what others are saying and doing and believing. I have never done what other people have done. I did not fall into the trap of societal norms with marriage and children. I wanted to do my own thing with my own career and my own businesses very early on in which I did. I maybe lucked out by chance, maybe kids and a family and a home or marriages for me later in life. I didn't even meet my partner until I was 38 and there was nothing wrong with that. I had many men, like I said, on a hotation before. It was fine. Do it enjoy it, girls. It's hot. I loved it every moment. Of course, it was perfect. It was horrible and it was beautiful at the same time. So it was like, you got to just do you. The more important things that we should be asking people and that are in wellness and in our health space, whether it's cooking or mental health or culture or travel is like, what are you doing to help others? What do you do to serve others? from your heart without anything in return. What's your contribution to this world? What do you do for your mental health? You know, one of the greatest things that I think we can also do, Josie, to add to the, to reading books or reading more, you know, audible books is we can volunteer more with things that make us feel good. And whether that's like cooking at a soup kitchen or donating clothes that are, that you don't have, you know, use for anymore or it's fostering a cat or a dog. Like there's so many cats and dogs that need fosters right now. It is wildly sad to me that a lot of people don't volunteer and they don't care to. Volunteering can be as simple as just reposting a pet that needs a foster parent or needs to be adopted. It can be as simple as 
finding somebody that needs like food delivered, like there's a food delivery service in New York called God's Love We Deliver, and they feed hundreds of needy, homeless and sick and ill or injured elderly people in New York every day, because we know we need three meals a day. There are people that are in need, you know, whether you go to a volunteer at a local food bank or the Salvation Army or Best Friends Animal Society. There are animal shelters all near you locally that can always use help, especially the help of the younger generation like Gen Z. You guys know how to help on social media and how to post and so you already have a lot of power and resources. All you need to do is reach out. You know, I reach out to SD Animal Services in San Diego all the time in my hometown because they need help and they ask and I will say, let me put this volunteering event in my newsletter. Let me repost it. I will send it to Litter Robot. I'll send it to Best Friends Animal Society. I'll ask people to share Sometimes if you need help and I'm speaking to you right now and you can feel it, you have to just ask for it and you have to let people know that you're struggling too. And it's okay. Like I could barely get any of my schedule together today. And I just told Lisa Marie, you know, the publicist, I said, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like I have so much going on. And sometimes I feel like I carry the weight of the world on my shoulders and then I realize, you know, I write, I write books for a living. I'm not curing cancer. Like I, I can take a step back and it's okay. But for, for other people, sometimes like donating blood or donating your time to a food bank or a shelter, giving your life to others, like it's not popular now, but there are millions of people that don't exist on social media, nor do they even care about it that are doing far bigger and better things than you or I will ever do in our lives that have no credit because they're doing it from the goodness of their heart with nothing in return. And if anything, social media has been awful because it has made people expect a like or a reaction or a comment or a follow in return for this exchange. Everybody gets awful comments. Everybody gets shitty people that write to them, haterville that's all a projection of somebody else. So you don't really have to worry about it in the long run. You don't need to post everything about your life. You don't need to post your kids. You don't need to post your partner. All you need to do is do your work on yourself first, help to serve others and try to make contributions to the world that are meaningful. Amen to that. I I think what you touched on too is a very important part of well-being and wellness that doesn't get talked about. And that is like the awareness of other people. I think just another thing that in my opinion, wellness as it's kind of portrayed in mass media gets wrong is that it's very much self-focused. You know, it's very much about like, how can I grow? You know, what's going on with me? How can I improve my physical health? But I think like, I don't have the science behind this, so nobody comes for me. But my thought is that our cells know when we are aware of other people, you know, when we are feeling drawn to help other people, when we feel empathy, I think empathy is one of the most important wellness hacks, whatever you want to call it, that there is out there. Because when we feel empathetic, 
that I, to me is like the powerful emotion. I think that is what cures things within us. You know, like that's when our cells go to work. Like again, no science, nobody come for me, but like, that's just how I feel. I know how I feel when I have that feeling. And I know a lot of people out there can relate of like, when you are, are doing something that you feel like is genuinely with the intention of helping someone else, whether that is all the things, all the amazing things that you're listing, or whether that is simply having a conversation. And instead of thinking, I, this is what I want to say, you're listening to the other person talk and you're actually hearing them. That form of empathy, I think something is happening in your body, you know, like that is healing a lot of things. Cause that's another one that we certainly do not talk about enough is that it's, I hate the word self-care, but like that self-care is caring for other people. You know, community care is a key part of that. Yeah. And it, and I mean, to be um, a standout leader that doesn't come from money or fame or nepotism, it's a hard path, but it's been done by so many people before us and it will be done by so many people after us. So we should always take comfort in knowing that you weren't the first, you won't be the last. You may as well do it now. Like I said, don't let other people tell you what you should do with your life. I had so many jealous women come my way over the years and I'm good. Like I try my very best to tell friends that are no longer close to me anymore to like leave me be because I may not look like the typical American woman, I suppose at 41, but I'm proud of the books I write. I like the volunteer work that I do. I'm not perfect and I will still get shit done and I'm not perfect. And I think if more people were honest about what it was like to be a public figure, then we wouldn't feel so horrible about ourselves when we're going through really hard times. Yeah. And I think that goes back to like the curiosity and being open and vulnerable and, and as a consumer wanting to learn more, like I think it kind of, that's the perfect full circle is it, is it really does go back to that pivoting like a little bit, because I really, really want, I know this is almost like the antithesis of what we talked about, but I, for our audience members who don't know you, and I very much will encourage everybody to go find your books and consume that content, but just to give them like a little insight before they go read their book, your books, I would love if you could share the concept behind Kintsugi. I hope I didn't butcher that, but to talk a little bit about that and what that is so that people who are not familiar with your work get a little bit of insight and hopefully feel inspired to dive into more. Yes. So in 2018, I also, I lived down the street from here in Brooklyn and I had a really bad breakup and my grandma was passing away in Japan so my mom and I made these last trips to go to the mountains of Japan. And I stayed with the monks for a while in Koyasan and Shikoku. And I studied um, knowing that it was probably one of the roughest times in my life at the time. Um, and, you know, you pointed on something earlier, Josie, that's important to state is no one's mental health issues are more or less important than anyone else's. And you also really will never know what an individual is truly going through. You do not have to share your private life with anyone. So when others judge you based off of a facade on what you present to the world online, 
remember that nobody needs to know the whole truth. And of course it hurts when you see things written about you or comments towards you, but just know that it is, I think it's our job to extend this olive branch to women and saying, you know, my hurt is no different than yours. And of course there are people out there going through horrifying things that are related to war and famine and hunger and just, you know, human trafficking, suffering of other beings is inevitable. And we talk about that in Buddhism, but I do think it's important to know on a scale that so many young women are taking their own lives nowadays that I think it is really important to extend that branch of like, I love you and I hear you and I'm here for you. And if you hurt, I hurt and we will heal together because it's like hurting and suffering is inevitably a part of life for everyone. So I wrote Kintsugi Wellness and Kintsugi is the art of golden repair. So these golden cracks like that are on this book refer to when an object in Japan breaks, there is a cultural practice where they put it together with a lacquer made out of tree sap traditionally and dusted with a real golden powder. And the object is foreseen as more beautiful than it was before with its golden cracks. It's an analogy to life. If you can see a matcha bowl with cracks on it as an example, it's more beautiful after it's been put together because you recognize the brokenness and the lines in which you hurt or you were in pain and how everybody can put pieces back together and mend with golden repair. So it is simply a metaphor to your life and mine that after that point of time in 2018, I moved out of New York for a few years. I did a ton of self-work. I shot a documentary. I shot with Vogue in Japan. I shot, I think, two documentaries in Japan. And then I returned to LA for a little bit. That's where I met um, my current partner randomly because we both work in the matcha industry. And then I came back and it's like this full circle experience. And then that's when I wrote Spirited, which is the Audible original, which is about um, a story of how we are all tied through our heritage and ancient traditions. And it's, it's totally okay to be in pain financially, physically, emotionally, psychologically. And there are ways to cope on your own at home. And it's, it's almost like a guide to spiritual wellness, whereas Kintsugi is more like physical and emotional wellness through cooking and like meditative practices or things I learned from the monks. And then before that was clean green eats and clean green drinks, which are virtually, you know, if you want to get fit and look fabulous for the rest of your life, I can try my best to give you a couple of, you know, hot tips in those books. (laughs) They took me like years to write. So that's why, yeah, dude, it's important to commend people for writing projects that take years And that's where being from old media, like TV, Home Shopping Network, you know, being a host on a bunch of shows and writing books and for magazines was a blessing because I knew how to handle every blow that came my way for the most part. You know, it was still a hot mess for a lot of years. But I think there's an artful grace to sort of having like a momentum of a career that lasts a lifetime. If you look at Martha Stewart, she's a beautiful example of somebody who was able to do that. 
And, you know, not a lot of people give her a ton of credit for doing so. I think it's a man's world still. And we give men like the world on a silver platter when we should be looking at other women. Like Ariana Huffington is another mentor of mine that has done this vibrant job. And can you imagine being on an anchor on a morning show every day of the week? Like my friends do that too. And I just, I know I take my hat off to them, Josie. I'm like, damn, doing it just a few times a year is so mind boggling. But yeah, there's a lot of badass people out there that are way cooler than any influencer. And I also know that the word influencer and the job structure around it, it has a ticking time bomb attached to it with an expiry date. And it's really important that every person who has a brand set up their own newsletter, their own podcast, if they want to set up their own website, because these types of platforms are not meant for longevity. They have an expiry date. And one day you'll look back and thank me for having your newsletter, building your audience and subscribers. And maybe you want to do, you know, Substack or you want to do a a Patreon, but you have to find other avenues to make financial success work in your favor while you're young. And when you set up these building blocks or these like these bricks that you're laying as your foundation, there's a really good financial chapter in this spirited on Audible. It talks about my experience in writing and shooting and directing and producing and how I made so many mistakes. It's not yippity yap bullshit. It's actual shit that I've done and gone through. So a young gal named Zoe on my team who just graduated from Columbia, go Zoe, said, I really like the financial chapter, Candace, because you spoke from like all of your financial shit and experience. And it was honest and real. This is what I love when I get to talk to people that like, don't care, just say their opinion and say how it is. And I like, we need more of that. Because the other thing I think about social media is that there is this like, you have to say the right things. You got to be, again, going back to like the perfectionism, which is another reason that for me that when I read your book, um, or I've read many of your books and I am such a fan of all of them, but when I read Kintsugi, that really resonated with me, that idea of like the less perfection is beautiful. I actually, I've thought about it so much in my life since I actually, a couple of years ago, I posted this on Instagram. I don't know. I remember I tagged you in it, but I like had dropped a candle and it all cracked. And I remember like, I thought, oh yeah, this reminds me of this principle that I learned about from Candice Kumai. And I kept this candle and now it's one of my favorite pieces. It's all cracked. And it because I think of, about it and it reminds me of my life of every time I feel like there's a broken piece or there is an imperfection, it is part of what's making it more beautiful. And that's definitely not the message we get from social media. So to have that message, like I, I just want to reiterate how much that resonates with me and how much I really do think about that concept on a daily basis. And I'm so lucky to get to learn from people like you. I would have never probably had exposure to that kind of concept before. And yeah. So, you know, to get to learn about it and and that really resonate and change the way that I live my life. So just again, I feel like that is like a concept I really want to like hit home for people. Go read all of Candace's book. But that one for me, like resonated so strongly. I know you guys will love to hear more about this concept and, and how to live that life. But I would love to hear how you practice Kintsugi on a regular basis. Like, are there little things you do every single day 
that either remind you to, to practice that or in little ways that that shows up for you? Oh, I mean, it's so hard to not spiral every day in like these little dark places and corners, like regarding anxiety or depression. And when I was studying with the monks, the most prominent thing to remember from them is that they pray for others all day, every day. They've devoted their lives to praying for you all day, not because they know things are beautiful, but because they know that dark corners and places in the world exist. And they are this beautiful Buddhist group of individuals who have devoted their life to prayer. So I often think about them. Find yourself getting lost in a book or a show or a docu. Find yourself listening to podcasts while you're cleaning the apartment or taking care of your dog. You know, adopt a cat, like learn something new from an animal that you never thought you would get close to. Do different things with your life. Like I'm planning on going back to Japan or Hawaii very soon to get out of my head because I forgot while writing this last book, what it was like to live. And I think it is important for us to like stop caring what others think, learn to detach and let go because attachment is what leads to all suffering in life. And so let go of it. Like, don't even worry about it. Like give it to God, whatever you believe in, just let it go. And everything will work out in the end. And, uh, you know, whether it's a guy or a job or a house or just a move, if it's your anxiety or your depression, like this too shall pass. It does fade away, even though it feels like the end of the world sometimes and you don't want to even get out of bed. But it's like, I encourage people to live through their hardest moments where they just want to give up because it does pass. And even like the chemistry in your body may not always be happy and sunny, but in Japanese practice, we call that mono no aware, the pathos in life. And we must value the dark with the light because without it cannot exist. Wow. That, I mean, that's a note to end on. (laughs) That's amazing. Wow. Candice, thank you so much for being so vulnerable. This conversation was so inspiring. I literally did not even look at my outline once. We like totally went on a different direction, which I absolutely love. So thank you so much for being here for, I know that this was a much longer conversation than what we had planned. So thank you. Where can everyone find you, get your latest book? I know you shouted out some of your other books, but where do you want people to get more Candice? Yay. Okay. So I have a newsletter that's on my website, candicekumai.com. C-A-N-D-I-C-E-K-U-M as in Mary, A-I.com. I also have books like King Sugi Wellness, Clean Green Eats, Clean Green Drinks, or um, Spirited on Audible Originals. There are many more, but those are the main ones that I love featuring these days. And then I also have a podcast called Wabi Sabi, which is Everything is Perfectly Imperfect. It's every Monday evening it drops or Tuesday morning. And so we always ask people to subscribe and write comments on social posts or write reviews on the books because without these things, artists like myself cannot survive. But we also encourage people to 
cook more at home, read more at home, like be sit with yourself, fuck what everybody else is doing. Like who cares? And just like sort of live your life openly and freely. Because if your parents didn't tell you that growing up, I'm telling you that now, like you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. If you go inward, you'll learn a lot about yourself. And if it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel good, like let go and cling on to the things that do make you feel good. And if you live a very simple life, then my God, I'm so envious too, um, because it's a, it's okay to live very simply um, and to still really do beautiful things with your one precious and beautiful life. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing all of that. It's been so much fun. Thank you, Josie. It was so nice to meet you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.